I want all of you to learn the heavenly gentle touch where when you touch someone the fire of the Spirit of God is felt by that person by that child by the thing you're handling the Heavenly Father's Spirit is working through you now from now on I would like to know if any of this group is having trouble with bad dreams evil desires evil thoughts trying to thrust upon you since you've been participating in the higher order of administering if so you can remain in the waiting room and one by one talk to me oh yeah my favorite podcast is the sick and wrong podcast cause it's a very good It's a funny, 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 funny show. Sick and Wrong Podcast is a wonderful podcast. It's a miraculous podcast. It's like the best podcast in the whole wide, wide, wide world. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, G. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hello. What's the crack, Kate Rambo? Uh, I have a hangover, and uh, I'm generally miserable. Wait, you're back on the sauce. I forgot I was about back that. On, was back on the sauce last night. Yes. So this is the I first time you've uh, you've drank in like what over a month? About five-ish weeks, which I think is pretty good going for someone like me. I'm impressed. I don't. I can't even remember the last time I went longer than two weeks without having a drink. Yeah, I'm not saying I'll I'll do it all the time, but it's just good to like I feel you know refreshed, revitalized. Uh, still hate all mankind, but that's just my personality. Did you get a buzz off of one beer? It wasn't too bad actually. I was uh, um, I was making a passion jacket and I drank a bottle of wine, and I didn't like sew anything disgracefully, and I drank it over probably a period of three hours. And then so I had, had a whole- beer. Okay, so one bottle of wine, but you got a hangover from it. I did get a, a rather brutal hangover, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably because your body's just not used to it. So are you going to be back on the sauce uh, tonight? I have a beer, sorry. <laughs> right next to me, yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to have you back. Misery loves company. It's you true. <laughs> that, that is nice. Um, Kate Rambo, I've been, I've been traveling. I'm a, I'm a traveling man. Uh, yeah, uh, I like that song. I'm a businessman. Like traveling band. I'm a well. businessman who travels. Um, there's plenty of films about that. My, I always say in life, like George Clooney. Indeed, there are two people in life. There's only two types of people. You've got your Steve Martins and you've got your John Candys. Now, I, I'm a Steve Martin. I have a feeling you're a bit more of a John Candy than compared to me. Possibly, I, I could see that. I like John Candy's mustache in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You know, I have a crush on John Candy, and I totally would have ridden him into battle. I think John Candy probably would have crushed you. <laughs> um, I love him. You know, I've, I haven't had a job where I've got to travel. Well, it's been a while. I, I used to, my old job, uh, when I worked for the Scientologists, they used to send me to conventions, like once a year, which is cool, but never, never that far. Like, it was rarely out of state. Um, but this, my, my current job, um, 
It's funny. I, I was surprised they actually sent me to this thing. Not that I wanted to go. Um, I kind of had no choice. But uh, it, it was funny because a bunch of people in my office all went to a convention in Amsterdam called IBC. I'm sure they're might be listeners who have attended that. It's like a big tech thing. Um, we have NAB in Vegas. It's like uh, where they unveil all the new technology. P-Town goes every year. Um, we had some people from my job uh, go there as well. But but uh, IBC is in Amsterdam, and it's like the biggest tech thing that they do in Europe. And so I was hoping that they would be like, Hey D, do you want to go to do you want to go to IBC this year? And I was like, I would have been like, of course I do. That would be really cool. But they didn't do that. No, they they didn't ask me at all. Uh, but they did ask a lot of my colleagues, who must, must must be cooler than me. But what they did is they asked me to go to Salt Lake City, fucking Utah. Hey, look, there is a lot in Utah, though. Just like there are some high caliber uh, murderers. Like with stuff you could go and see, I could spend a day doing like Gary Gilmore. You only need a day in Utah. Like it, it. I don't know. I, I there are some cool spots in Utah, and yes, there are some uh, some landmark crime uh, destinations. Uh, but Utah fucking sucks. I think the best thing about Utah is getting the fuck out of Utah. Hey. <laughs> no, so uh, anyway, it wasn't even a good trip. If I was able to like spend a little more time there, I probably. I mean, there are some. You know, if you're like nature and shit like that, it's kind of cool. And the salt flats is definitely something you don't really see anywhere else. So it is kind of cool to see that shit. But it was one of those things where I flew in at 8 o'clock at night, drove down. I wasn't in Salt Lake City, actually. I was in Provo. Well, that's Gary Gilmore country, isn't it? hour south. Provo is even worse than Salt Lake City. And so I had to drive down an hour to Provo stay the night and then i had to uh we, so basically we're doing this uh project with some uh with uh brigham young university byu and so i had to like i'm it's one of my projects and so i had to go in and deal with that and uh and kick off the project with a bunch of their their staff and so i had to be there on byu's campus at 7 30 a.m so pretty much i i got to the hotel passed out woke up 7 30 and i'm in uh in uh in fucking byu Brigham Young University, which is a Mormon school for Mormons. Why? I I don't know, but it's like everyone, it was the weirdest, it's the most bizarre uni I think I've ever been to. First of all, the town of Provo, there are no fucking bars there. Like I was thinking, maybe I'll get a drink, you know, because I'm here by myself and, you know, it's like eight o'clock at night. I looked at, you know, I looked on, uh, you know, Google Maps, not a single bar. Near my Have hotel. you never read The Executioner's Song? I don't think That's I've ever big, read that. It's a fucking huge book about Gary Gilmore. It's like 700 pages. But Gary used to fucking just get in his girlfriend's truck and make her drive him to the nearest bar and just leave him there. It, well, I mean, you'd have to go out. And Salt Lake City has bars. You know, and they, they yeah. have weird, they used to have like, more stricter liquor laws. I think they've kind of um, eased up a bit, but you still can't buy booze on Sunday. And I think the bars close by like 10 or 11. So this Mormon university, is it just like, can non-Mormons go there? Do they read Bible verses at you? Do they have, do they bless the food and shit? It's, it's very religious. I think non-Mormons can go there, but I don't know why you would. I mean, it's it's like everywhere you walk around, there's like Bible quotes everywhere. And I would so, love to go spend a term there and just be like, hey, see you behind the back of the bike sheds, Billy. 
I and know, I would suck Billy's cock behind the bike sheds. I don't know if they would do that. Everybody there, it's just like pretty much a college of virgins. Oh, <laughs> send me in as a secret weapon. <laughs> they I, soon won't be. I don't know if I don't know how well you'd be able to corrupt them, but yeah, it, it was weird. Like walking around there, there are no bars, and I actually learned another thing too about Mormons I never knew. So I get there at seven thirty, and I had to like meet this guy who's like the lead engineer on their team head um, mormon number one yeah and so i get there and i was like hey you know i'm gonna go to the cafe right over there there's a cafe uh across across the street and i was like i'm gonna go to this cafe and get some coffee and he's like okay i'll, I'll be here and so i go over there and there's this like young know, mormon girl that's, that's working there i was like hey um can i get a cup of coffee and she's like what i was like can i get a cup of coffee and i was like and she's like we don't have coffee like she it was like as if i was asking her something like asking to see her tits like she it was like this outlandish request and, and i was like uh okay um and then i was looking i was like well this is a drug just, i was like maybe i'll get a red bull no red bull there's no caffeine mormons don't drink caffeine god what you, what a terrible <laughs> fucking life for them when you have to wear special underwear and you have to you can't even have a cup of fucking coffee it's fucking bizarre it, it's so How- weird how does that stop you worshiping a god that doesn't exist by not like by not being able to drink coffee? I'm pretty sure that god who made the planet in seven fucking days was chugging it back. I I don't know. I was I understood that they don't have bars and it's like you know they're anti-alcohol because I've read that before. But anti-caffeine? What do you do? You don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? You don't drink, don't smoke. Yeah, it was so weird. And, and so walking through the campus, we had to like go through their student union. There was a fucking line dancing class. Oh my god, that's quite cute, really. Though, like they're all like I've always, there doing I've the, always the had thing. a secret wish to. D- I just think I'd be a really good line dancer, and I've always kind of wanted to do line dancing. They're all line dancing lying, under this mural of Jesus with like these Bible quotes. It was the fucking weirdest thing. Oh, no caffeine, but clogging is fine. Mormons. I don't know. I I pretty much was done meeting with them by like one o'clock. And uh, a couple of my coworkers were like, oh, you want to go uh, check out? Get a coffee? Uh, no, they were going to go up by uh, where where they filmed Sundance. I forget what town that is. Uh, but they're like, yeah, we're going to go up there. And I was like, oh, no, my flight leaves at three. I got to get get to the airport. My flight didn't leave till eight. So I was like, I'm, I'm just going to go fuck around in Salt Lake City. Which is kind of a cool city. It's weird. It's also very weird. Not as weird as Provo. Like Provo, I, I couldn't imagine living in this weird dry town. Salt Lake City at least has bars, but they have this massive Mormon temple, this huge Mormon temple in the center of town. It, Mormons can ha- also can have as many wives as they want, although I tell you what, one wife is just enough. Am I right? Am I right? Uh, this is right. more than enough. Um, <laughs> exactly. But the Mormons can have like 20 of them, can't they? Yeah, I think they're, they believe in polygamy. But I think from what I've read, most modern Mormons don't believe in polygamy, but there are some Mormon sects because there's a lot of different branches, you know, from right. the Church of Latter-day Saints um, that, that believe in what they want to believe. But there definitely are some uh, polygamous Mormon sects. Um, so I was driving around uh, Salt Lake City. I went to the heavy metal shop. Uh, Joe Kelly told me about this place. It's like, it's so it's so weird. It's right, I don't know, maybe a 10-minute, five, seven-minute walk from the, the big Mormon church. There's this old-school heavy metal store that's been there since, like, I think the early 80s, late 70s. And this, like, 
old mulleted metal guy named Kevin was hanging out. And so I was chatting with him and he was super cool. He was just like, oh, check this out. Because we were talking about rocker tees. Because they had, they had a lot of rocker tees there. But a lot of them were like reissued tees. And he's like, oh, I got some originals. He went to a pre-show in 1978. And he had a baseball tee in immaculate condition. Oh, it'd be from- so cool if he's in, the, you know, the heavy metal parking lot documentary. If he's one of the kids, everyone knows a priest's the best band in the world. Then it's Black Sabbath, but it's priest number one. It'd be ace if that was Kevin. Was, was that filmed in California? I forget where that was filmed. Yeah, I have a feeling it was somewhere because it's very nice and sunny. They did a whole ton of those heavy metal parking lots. It's just the priest one is the most famous. Yeah, I think it was like uh, people were tailgating. I thought it was like outside LA, but I forget. Um, But yeah, yeah, Kevin Kevin was super cool. The store's awesome, bought a a shirt. Um, um, And then, uh, you know, I was driving around, drove by the Salt Lake Temple. It's like a fortress. And like uh, that show House of Dragons, you know, if you look at it, it looks like a castle. It's just this massive thing. I didn't go in. Um, well, I, you would probably burn up if you walked in, wouldn't you? I, I started feeling uh, like my skin started uh, crawling and, and, and sort of feeling like really hot and sweaty while, while I was about like 15 feet away. Uh, Jews aren't allowed to go there. And furthermore, no. I read that this temple is used exclusively by members of the Mormon church for their sacred ordinances, such as proxy baptisms. You know, they do that. And what's a proxy baptism? So they baptize they you, even if you if you died 50 years ago, they'll proxy baptize you. I never want this to happen to me. Although I do believe there's nothing after you die and it's just like fucking emptiness and nothingness, but which suits me great. Don't, don't be anointing my name with these religions yeah, like talk you can about, talk shag about, my dead body you can eat it i don't want to be religious talk about Stop like it. a taking the piss it's just like if they're like oh yeah kate rambo she's that that horrible atheist that was on that that unsavory podcast well now she's christian in fact she's no. a mormon she's not just a christian she's a mormon now you know they uh perform proxy baptisms of jews that were killed during the holocaust how, how? How can they do that? They died being Jewish. They baptized like 500 of them at one time. I remember my father was fucking livid. He wrote a oh letter to the Mormon church, never forgave them after that, would never set foot in Utah. If a crazy horses came on the radio with the rabbi, <laughs> I'm turning this off. It's terrible. Oh, my God. He was, he was like, I, I think it was just that was, he wasn't a huge fan of Mormons anyway because he kind of thought they were a bit too fundamentalist. But then after the proxy baptisms of Jews that were murdered during the Holocaust, he was just like, they are wrong. They are absolutely wrong. <laughs> He's so mad about it. He um, is right. I'm, I'm team rabbi on that one. Not too far from, uh, from the Mormon temple, uh, based on your repeated suggestions, <laughs> I drove to Ted Bundy's boarding house right over at 565 First Avenue. How could you fucking not? That's where I just would be containing I would want to go inside that I would knock and just try and use my like all my feminine wiles to get upstairs well didn't but did Bundy go to BYU or I forget no I think he went he went to the Salt Lake University oh, Salt Lake was, University. yeah when he was studying to be a lawyer and that's when he had the girlfriend and all of that down in SLC it's a very nondescript kind of boarding house. It was funny because I was standing there taking pictures of, and sending them to you on Instagram. And I see these two girls pull up doing the same thing. Of course. Everyone's yeah. like, this is Bundy's house. And there's also, there's loads of Bundy shit there. Like there's the mall where he um, tried to, uh, abduct, well, he did abduct a Carol, um, Carol de la Ranch, Carol la Ranch, you know, the fitty who got away. 
her. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was also in Salt Lake City. Yeah, that mall's still there. So there's a few other Bundy things. One day we'll go together and we'll just have like a Bundy day. Not we'll sure. Just do I tons go back of to Bundy Salt Lake City, stuff. Utah. Where, where, what town was it where he escaped from the courthouse? Uh, that was not. Was that not Florida? Was that Colorado? I yeah, think it was, was Colorado. Florida. Was it Florida or Colorado? Could have been. Oh no, maybe it was Colorado because then he went to Aspen, didn't he? Yeah, he went and to Aspen. And uh, it was that. too cold, and he lost a bunch of weight. But this boarding house over on First Avenue. Um, let's see. I think he stayed there. When was that? In the early eighties, mid eighties. Yeah, he was there yeah. a while though. He was there about two years. Yeah, he murdered at least ten girls and women, uh, ranging in age from twelve to twenty-six. Uh, he also admitted to bathing the bodies of some of his victims and applying makeup to them post-mortem. <laughs> I, right. <laughs> I bet you Ted Bundy was just a horrible makeup artist. That's a thing you can do for me, though, because I definitely don't want to go out without eyeliner on. So say if I die in the house and the authorities are coming and the paramedics are rushing there, I want my last wish, D. You, if I don't have eyeliner on, you better slap some eyeliner on me because I'm not being seen by strangers without eyeliner on. Well, I'm not going to shag your corpse if it doesn't have eyeliner. Duh. Ex- exactly. Thank you. Uh, Bundy would photograph the bodies of his victims, and he hid the photographs in the utility room at the boarding house. That seems a bit obvious, isn't it? Because everyone can use a utility room. Why don't you just hide the photographs in like your bedpost? Or something. I don't know. You know, I wonder if there's other things that he's hidden around, like used tampons and teeth and oh, things yeah. like that. Again, that's why I would have been like, please let me in. Just let me in to go upstairs and like just absorb the like uh, the smells. But they, you know, the website I was looking at was like, don't disturb the residents. But I don't know. I stood, it was, first of all, it was like 106 degrees there. Utah's really hot. I mean, it's pretty much a desert. It's desert. Um, But I was just kind of standing out there taking pictures and uh, no one said anything to me. It's because you're used to it. It's like if the opportunity came up to buy the house where Elizabeth Short's body was uh, dumped, hell fucking yes, I would buy it. I would plant dahlias in the fucking, uh, in the garden at the front. And when people came along and they were taking pictures, I'd be like, a little to your left. That's where they found her. Just a little to, you've got to encourage that shit. I love all the death hugs stuff. Would like you that. dress up like her and, and pose? On, yeah, like on the anniversary of her death, I would do it. Why not? I'd be like, it's Elizabeth Short Day. I would let all the neighbors know, maybe throw a bit of a party. Like, why <laughs> fucking not? So um, on my way out of town after I uh, visited all the, the Bundy sites that you were telling me about, um, I drove by the infamous Shiloh Inn on the way to the airport, right on the Temple, was it right on Temple Avenue? You heard about the Shiloh? I have not heard about, uh, I've heard of Shia LaBeouf, but not the Shiloh. The Shiloh Inn, which is now a Holiday Express Inn, it's been that for the past eight years, but it's considered to be one of the most haunted hotels in Salt Lake City. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say America then. Uh, it's one of, no, it, well, actually, not only just uh, Salt Lake City, it's one of the most haunted attractions in Utah. So the haunting of this hotel, the Shiloh Inn, uh, seemed to stem from a very tragic incident in 1978 that we're going to talk about. Involving a woman and her seven children who plunged 11 floors from the, 11 floors in the balcony to their death. Ooh. Yeah, it's a grisly story um, involving a cult, a failed prophet, some uh, brainwashed children. Uh, but before we get into all of that, um, I just want to give a shout out to all the people 
uh, that support the show on Patreon. I know we talk about this every week, but it really does help the show. And, uh, you know, if you like what we do, if you like what we do, you know, get back a little bit. Sign up for the Patreon, support the show. You know, we're doing way more on the Patreon now than we ever did uh, in the past. You know, I'm, you know, I'm planning this week to even post a personal video of my brother wearing his ven- Venom helmet. You know, my brother drives a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. And he's got this, like, Venom helmet. It's terrifying. So it looks like the creature, you know, the Venom creature. But it's not terrifying to me. A little bit. But it's terrifying to my nephew, Ozzy. Really terrifying. Like, that kid, like, freaks out whenever Jeff walks in with a helmet. So my sister usually makes him take it off outside. But so he was telling me about it when I was visiting last weekend. And uh, he's like, yeah, check it out. He puts the helmet on. And that kid, like, ran behind Jer, just, like, crying. So scared. Amazing. <laughs> so, man, then he's like, he lifts up the visor. He's like, hey, Ozzy. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I got a video. We, we post a lot of personal shit on the Patreon. And, um, you know, not to mention, uh, for five bucks a month, that's it. You get the uh, the entire second show. Uh, we do it every Sunday. We do two shows of uh, of uh, Sick and Wrong. Although the second show is a bit more, less professional. It's a bit more saucy, more personal. So Yeah, I often get narky. You get narky, you get drunk. Uh, this week we chatted uh, about uh, me going to Iron Maiden with Ryan Keeley the other night. Um, it was funny. While we were in line to get beer, some dude recognized her. and like, oh, Of course, but it happens all the time. Yeah, but it was weird. The guy was like with his, I'm assuming his girlfriend or his wife. And he's all like, hey, what's up? America's favorite stepmom. And it's just like, wouldn't you be? Well, anyway, whatever. We talk about this on the second show. Yeah, we um, And then for a few more shekels, you can get access to Sick and Wrong Overkill um, or Minisode. This week, Kate takes a deep dive into the life, loves, and liberties of the one and only Nick Cage. I've been working on this for two weeks. Um, I don't want to boast, but it's probably the greatest fucking thing I've ever made. It's like in very, my whole life. very impressive. I'm, yeah. I'm very proud of this. It's over an hour long of me, of me and Nicholas, because Nicholas is there talking about why he is the greatest actor of all time. It's a very meaningful uh, sick and wrong overkill. And, uh, and now <laughs> at the same level, uh, you get access to the sick and wrong archives. A full 10 years, a decade of Sick and Wrong, all the classic episodes. So check it out, people. Patreon.com slash Sick and Wrong. You know, give a little, get a lot, and you do really support it. You know, support us and uh, keep the show going. So it's the only way uh, we make any money from the show. (laughs) All right, moving on to the story of uh, the suicide of a failed prophet and his wife who murdered seven children. Actually, six. Um, Hey. So getting into the story here, a little background on this, uh, on this guy, um, the failed prophet. So his name, well, he adopted the name, the moniker Emmanuel David, when he became a Mormon prophet. But prior to that, his, uh, his birth name was Charles Bruce Longo. He was born in Yonkers, New York, November 9th, 1938. Charles Bruce Longo sounds a bit Australian. Yeah, Mr. Longo. Hello, Mr. Um, Charlie Longo. He came from a pretty wealthy family. His uh, father was a prominent doctor in the area. His mother was Episcopalian. Father's Catholic. Uh, he had a younger brother named Dean, who later became a uh, police chief in Florida. Oh, okay. Good yeah. for you, Dino. You know, a neighbor described young Bruce, young, young Bruce Longo as a striking and handsome young man. Tall, um, very attractive. Fun-loving and active. His mother, 
uh, said Bruce is a very self-centered boy who thought he was better than everyone due to his father's profession as a doctor and the wealth that came with it. That's true, though. I mean, entitled fuck this, Bruce. Well, you know, doctors do have to do have big egos. It's a well-known thing. And uh, being the son of a doctor, you kind of kind of adopt that ego of your parent. I can totally get it. Why you'd be a bit narcissistic. I love that this is his mum slagging it off. He well, didn't have a smile that lit up the room. I he think considering what happened, the trajectory of this guy's life, I can understand why the mom wants to distance herself. Um, little foreshadowing. So <laughs> Bruce graduated from high school in 1955. He went into the Marine Corps. Uh, during his time in, uh, in the service, he became friends with some members of the uh, Latter-day Saints Church, the Mormons. So he, he started kicking it with some Mormons. I oh, uh, started attending services with them. They gave them a copy, or they gave uh, Bruce a copy of uh, his own copy of the Book of Mormon, um, which is the, uh, the, the LDS text that the Mormons believe was translated into English from ancient gold plates by an 18th century New Yorker named Joseph Smith. I've seen pictures of Joey Smith. I'm yeah, Joey Smith had those special glasses, those, those special glasses that allowed him to read the tablets. He got yeah. them from the angels. Joey Smith did not eat pussy. He just did not. I doubt it. Even um, with the special glasses. You know what? He probably needed the special glasses to help him locate the clit. They kind of look like Elton John's glasses. I don't know if you've ever seen them. You know, those, like, Elton those John, also a man sunglasses. who can't locate a clit. <laughs> so uh, Longo was eventually honorably discharged in 1959. He came home and uh, back to Yonkers and told his parents he had some wonderful news for them. He said... This is his mother quoting. She said, he told them that this was the right answer to everything now that he's a Mormon. And so he came out as a Mormon to his parents, which I imagine is uh, probably more traumatizing than coming out as a, as a as homosexual, you know? I've, I would think it would be the worst thing if I had children, that if they came home and suddenly said that they had found religion, I'd be like, not in my house, you haven't. Goodbye. I could imagine forever. like... The rabbi, you know, he had one son that came out as homosexual and then me being like, Dad, I'm a Mormon now. I, I don't know what he would have done. I think he'd been much more upset. I'm not anyway, only a Mormon dad, but all the Jews who died in World War II, they're Mormons too. Because I'm baptizing them. <laughs> oh, you'd um, be kicked out. She said about her son that he became fanatical. The, the, you know, the, his uh, conversion to, to, to being a Mormon changed him completely. Even like all his friends that knew him said he was a different person. And so uh, he, when he came back in 1958, he was baptized as a member of the Mormon church, gave up smoking, didn't drink anymore. Um, he worked full-time in New York for the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints. He walked around quoting the Book of Mormon. So at all the family events, he would just like whip out the Book of Mormon and start making quotes. Oh, just disown him. Just be like, go and live with your precious Mormons. You're not part of this uh, household anymore. Like, go away. He perpetually please. told his family that uh, they're doomed to hell because they had not Good. seen the truth of the LDS church. Hell's he even the looked his godmother be. in the eye and said, I'm not your godson anymore. I belong to Jesus. <laughs> so, like, I don't really don't know much about the Mormons apart from what I've learned through Osman, the Osmonds. So, do they believe that Jesus is more important than God? No, I think it's the God, Holy Son, and then you know, I think it's the whole the whole package. 
Yeah. Okay. So do they, do they believe in like the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and all? Yeah. This? Do you know what? I'm just gonna email. Uh, email. I'm just gonna Google Mormons. I mean, they're they're, they're fundamentalists, but they also not only do they believe in like Father, Son, Holy Ghost and all that, but they also believe that Joseph Smith translated his own interpretation of the Bible with his magic glasses and the tablets he got from the angels. So they even believe another, you know man who just suffered from God delusions, not just the delusion that there's a God. But uh, you're not supposed to worship false idols. Isn't well, that I mean, like one of the rules? A, they don't think he's a false idol. They don't worship Joseph Smith, but they worship or they believe his interpretation of the Bible, the Book of Mormon. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that worshiping him? No, they don't worship Joseph Smith. There's not like an idol of jo- like a statue of Joseph Smith that they bow down to. He's like a prophet. But if I went up to a Mormon and said, uh, Joseph Smith's a fucking cunt, they'd be offended, wouldn't they? They'd, yeah, but I think they'd be more offended if you're like, Jesus is a cunt. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Bruce, uh, in 1960, went to uh, Uruguay on a uh, Mormon mission. Spent two I've always years wanted there. to go there. Yeah, he funded it himself. Um, this is the first, like, pretty much the first time anyone saw any inkling of mental illness. He started okay. hearing voices, and he would tell the church officials about these voices, and that his the voices told him that he's an apostle now. So now an apostle right. is a very high calling in the church. So for the Mormon church, you know, you have to be established personally and professionally to become an apostle. Like it's your, you know, it's a it's a pretty high rank. You don't just okay. say like I'm an apostle now. You you actually have to like earn that rank. Like Tom Cruise has with Scientology. He's worked his way from nothing and now he's like numero uno. Well, I think Tom Cruise, uh, I think you get that in Scientology if you donate a certain amount of money. Oh, yeah, but he's still done that. He's put the legwork in. Well, Bruce became obsessed. Barely slept. He memorized, well, people claim that he memorized the entire Book of Mormon. Oh, I can't forgive anything more boring. (laughs) Well, that's all he did is he just read the Book of Mormon. And uh, after serving 11 months of the two-year mission, he was sent home over concerns about his <laughs> mental health. And not only that, he contracted hepatitis. What? Um, How? I don't know, probably from the drinking water or something. Who knows? I, can I just say, we are glossing over that one of my favorite Simpsons sketches is when Homer is looking at the globe and he goes, and look at this, you are gay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so when Bruce got back to Yonkers, he was briefly hospitalized, treated for hepatitis and for his mental illness. But the voices continued. They didn't oh, stop. They, did. they didn't stop there. So he moved to uh, Provo and he began attending BYU in 1961, majoring in Spanish and political science. Um, and it just so happened on the campus of BYU, which I imagine is very common, he met his wife, another virgin, yeah. future wife. Margit Brigitta Eriksson, who was born in Sweden, November 4th, 1939. Uh, she was converted to the LDS church uh, by a missionary in Sweden at the age of 18. Oh, my goodness. Well, firstly, shout out to the Swede who's listening. Oh, and to the other Swede who is also listening. We've got two Swedish listeners. Uh, how does that happen? You're in the, Sweden, and then all of a sudden there's a, a mom in there, and next thing you know you're they a mom. Send, they send missionaries all over the world. I wish they wouldn't. I know, but believe me, they're very annoying. You see a Mormon, anyone walking towards you, the Book of Mormon, run. Run, people. 
No, because I actually have questions for them, it seems, that maybe Google. I would invite them into my house and, you know, we could sit. I, I would actually, you know, what I would do. I would say, I will let you have your speech, but we're going to watch the first Judge Dredd movie. And then I'm going to show you some Judge Dredd comics. I'm going to talk about how it's better than the Carl Urban Judge Dredd. Okay, you give me four hours and then I'll give you half an hour. I bet they do it. Quick anecdote here. When I first moved to San Francisco, okay. I was living on uh, Treasure Island. Uh, with P-Town and uh, my girlfriend at the time and uh, Mullet Jeremy, who I've spoken about on the show. He's the founder of the website mulletsgalore.com. Anyway, I, w- I think it was just me and Jeremy were home and we were smoking weed and I went upstairs to the bathroom and I just heard there was a knock on the door. And I just heard uh, Mullet Jeremy be like, D, Mormons are here. And, and that's what happens in the U.S. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses too. They go door to door. They call them door knockers. They go door to door and uh, basically want to talk to you about the Book of Mormon. They want to talk to you about uh, about being a Jehovah's Witness. They're very persistent. So I came downstairs and the whole house just reeked of fucking weed. I mean, it was just like a haze of smoke. And so um, I opened the door and I think I was wearing like a tank top, all tattooed with dreads. And I was just like, "Why don't you guys come in?" Because they, because they, they're like, hey, we want to talk to the Book of Mormon. It's like, why don't you guys come in? And I, I'm pretty sure we had Hella Waits, you know, the album by Slayer, just blasting. And so yeah. they sit down, and I'm just like smoking weed, asking them questions, and they were so nervous, like they were so oh, nervous, bless. like they were they in were the den themselves. of Satan. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, I mean, they answered a couple questions, and then uh, I think they quickly realized, like, yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to convert these two. Do you think they would sit and watch all of the the Stallone Judge Dredd with me? Yeah, maybe if you converted. I don't know. I think they only. I don't even think they lasted two songs. Judge Dredd <laughs> is an left. officer that you can't refuse. So you'll I think see when you I move here. You don't see him that much in L.A. But uh, if you live in the suburbs, I bet you'll you'll see Mormons. You might get a chance to watch Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd with them sometime. Here they don't they don't hang around. They just put something through your door. Like, and then you'll get it in your mail and it'll be like, sometimes it's a handwritten letter where they've just like, I worry for your soul, for your damned eternal soul. It's probably less annoying, less intrusive. You know, I noticed at the hotel I stayed at in Provo, they had a, in the, in the drawer, they had a Bible and a Book of Mormon. Oh, just in case you caught shot. I don't know. (laughs) You just want to read both maybe? Who knows? So anyway, uh, Brucey here met uh, his future wife, Margit. At BYU. So Marjit converted to being a Mormon, moved to uh, the States, and became a student at BYU, and that's where she met Bruce. Uh, She was very soft-spoken, obedient, easily influenced. So they they only dated for a few months, and then Bruce uh, proposed to her. Actually... The way Bruce proposed to her is is very novel. I, 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 I should have tried this on you. He pulled her aside one night. They were hanging out, probably getting ice cream because they don't drink. I don't know what else they do. And uh, he said, I had a revelation the other day from God that uh, told me that we're going to get married. And she was just like, okay, let's do this. I didn't know it was that easy. I would have thought he would have just said, that special underwear is coming off. I've got you a rock. (laughs) I had a revelation from uh, from God that I'm going to get anal tonight. So let's pull those Mormon underwear down. (laughs) So uh, sure enough, uh, the two got married, you know, and, you know, in in a a couple months later, Margie was flattered, actually, overwhelmed. She's hot, isn't she? Because she's Swedish. 
She's got a hot name. She is actually rather attractive. But Bruce was a was a strike was a handsome man too. I think this is a handsome young Mormon couple, and they're going to create some beautiful and uh, fucked up children. Well, the children didn't live too long, but they did. Uh, Margie <laughs> was flattered, overwhelmed that God picked such a good-looking man to be her husband. Good for her. So she dropped out of school, started planning the wedding. Um, okay, what? it was a couple years. They they were. I wonder if they had sex during that time. It took them two years to get married. Well, they have the special underwear, but I definitely think they probably did what the kids do, where they they would frot, or they're gonna have anal. Yeah, but it's there's never gonna be a penetration, is there? Jesus is okay with anal, just no uh, yeah, vaginal penetration. It's, it's what I've heard. It's it's because you're not penetrating the the other place that matters. The pussy you, matters. Exactly, you get a pass. Um, so Bruce graduated from BYU. And uh, moved the family over to Salt Lake City, Utah. And it was around that time, this is like 1969, started hearing another voice from God. He, Bruce, you know, Bruce receives these voices that give him messages, you know, and he <laughs> follows it. So uh, he got a voice from God, or a voice was giving him a revelation here that uh, God said, you're going to be the next prophet of the Mormon church, by the way. Just to let you know. So a, a prophet like um, like uh, Mr. Smith. Like Joseph Smith. That's the highest calling that one can get in the, in the Mormon church. And the he next really in line for ego. this call, well, the next in line for this calling is typically a counselor to an active prophet. So it's not like you can just be like, I'm a prophet. Everybody start worshiping me. You kind of have to like earn that and be elected, like anointed to be a prophet. Okay. And usually what happens, there's an active prophet you got a counselor, and one of the counselors that end up, uh, you know, when the active prophet steps down, another one, you know, takes his position. You don't just walk in and be like, yo, I'm prophet here, okay? <laughs> yo, I'm the prophet here. What's going on? So 1970, the church's current prophet, the prophet of the LDS church at the time, David McKay, he died. So Bruce was like, well, here's my opportunity. I'm going to be the next prophet. And he told everybody that... Uh, that he was the next prophet of the church. Well, no, the church was like, you're not. You haven't earned it, you know, and you're mental. So they, uh, they, they, they gave uh, the calling to a guy named Joseph Fielding Smith. I imagine there must be, how many Joseph Smiths do you think live in Utah? Oh, just a million of Joe Smiths. Just hundreds of them. And do you know what? None of them know how to lick a pussy. Just, there's Doubt not it. one Joe Smith in Utah that can fucking lick a clit. I know, what a waste. You got nine wives, and you don't even eat them out. Yeah, I don't think any of that occurs. I think it's all very bland, like, hip. That's their hips, like, just smacking together. Because neither of them know how to fuck. The girls don't know how to fuck either. Well, they just know how to breed, I think, and make more Mormons. That's all they do. That's sex for them. There's no shoulder action. Terrible. So Bruce was, uh, he was enraged. Wasn't happy that he got passed up for the position. Uh, he claimed he was God, the Holy Ghost, and the Messiah, all wrapped up in one. Oh, Bruce. Yeah. So church officials were like, uh, you're not, okay? <laughs> you, you're you're kind of mental. And then he, he walked up to the Mormon church, went to the leaders of the Mormon church, and he said, all the tithes that you guys get should be handed over to me. Tithes? Yeah. What's a donations. tithe? Like when, uh, you know, when they take collection? So, oh, the money. Yeah. All the money should be mine. He became oh. a true evangelical Christian that day. Do you know what? I wonder if there's a like a, a kind of 
a good thing in there where you could start robbing churches. And you don't, I don't know if, uh, I'm not sure how it works with the, with churches. I don't know if it's just like you tithe on Sundays when you're at your service. The way it worked with the, with the synagogue is, um, they, you paid your dues. So like each family would pay a certain amount based on their socioeconomic status. So the temple is cool about it. Like if you didn't earn that much money, like if you weren't some fucking lawyer or something, you paid, you know, a fraction of what like the, the rich lawyers and doctors would pay. Okay. So it's based you on your pay that what quarterly, yearly, whenever no, it's you could. Annual, annual dues. That's how it worked at uh, the synagogue. I don't know about the Mormon church. I don't know if every week people tithe, like they have collection every week. And, and Bruce is like, that money belongs to me. That's my money because I'm God. Give me the money. But like, I f- money is the root of all evil, Brucey, isn't Not it? Bruce. So why are the churches asking for it? Not for a man with a messianic complex. So, Bruce. Not only wrote letters to the Mormon church, he also wrote to the Israeli Knesset, the Israeli's government, like the Israeli okay. government, which is bizarre. And these, le- these letters, um, in these letters, he would uh, tell the prime minister that he was God. So he was writing to the, to the prime minister of Israel saying like, hey, I'm God. I'm the father of Jesus Christ that you slew. And I'm the only one that, I can, de- that, I- that can deliver you to God without me your entire country is going to perish. He wasn't a big fan of the Jews. Well, uh, firstly, he's wrong, isn't he? Because Jesus was the Jew and the Romans killed him. And secondly, like Israel was just a baby of a country at this time. Israel was like, what, 10 years old? 20 no, years old? No, it would have been like probably 30 years old. It's in the 70s. Oh, it's the 70s by now. So oh, wouldn't you just love to be a prime minister and be like, we got one of those kooky letters <laughs> off Brucey you again. You know those letters are up in the copy room because these yeah. are, he, he wrote another letter saying, I'm the father of Israel. The blood of Israel runs through my veins, not the veins of your people. And so in other letters, he started claiming that he's the president of the Mormon church. <laughs> so, I mean, he was, I mean, he was completely insane. So the Mormon church were like, we got to deal with this guy. He's, he's, you know, first of all, they considered it apostasy. You know, he's, he's acting against the church. And so they met, you know, the, the Mormon elders got together and like, you know what? You're out. And they excommunicated him and Marjit. So he got kicked um, out of the LDS. Booted. I feel bad for her because she's actually done nothing wrong. Unless she was also signing her name at the end of those uh, anti-Semitic letters as well. I feel well, like she uh, follows she's him. been roped into this she's breeding his seed i think she's but she's just being a good wife that's what they want back then i feel bad for this um, hot and sexy swedish woman well so bruce and margit were excommunicated and it was at this point that bruce is like i'm not cutting my hair anymore i'm a prophet i'm gonna let my locks grow he uh, even grew a beard and the couple then changed their names to emmanuel and rachel david Right. Of all the names you could have picked, and that's what you picked. Rachel, you know, Rachel is a female. Isn't a Rachel a name for a female sheep? Not sure about that, but it's biblical. He's a big fan of the biblical names. Uh, Yeah, obviously, but there's like so many. I'd have been like, I'm going to call myself Jezebel. Well, they wouldn't do that. She was a harlot. So I'm not surprised they kicked him out of the special people club. I mean, the guy's insane. <laughs> saying he's the member of the, you know, the, the president of the Mormon church writing to Israel, you know, saying that the blood of Israel runs in his veins. But what I was wondering is like, how do you think they do it? Like, how do you get excommunicated from the LDS? Like, do you just get a letter? 
Is there a ceremony? Mm-hmm. There's a like, ceremony for sure there is. I also didn't know until just this moment that like the Mormons have to cut their hair and they can't have beards. Is that because it's considered unclean or something? Yeah, I'm actually not quite sure about this. I think he just, I mean, he, he was like, I'm going to play the part of being, you know, Jesus, the prophet of God. Well, yeah, because Jesus, our dude, in all those paintings that are hanging in the Louvre that I've seen, he's always got, he's rocking long hair, a bit of stubble, you know? Well, that's the thing. Bruce didn't think he was just, you know, a prophet. Bruce thought he was God. Like, he was he was God. He's the big guy, you know? So he was, like, you know, playing the part, <laughs> want to look the part. Um, so a little bit about the uh, the family life here of Emmanuel and Rachel David. Yeah, I which I imagine wasn't too it. much fun, but uh, we'll get to that. So he was the head of his household. He made all the rules. Rachel yeah. was an obedient, subservient wife. That's what she was. And that was her position. And she was cool with it. Um, after he became a prophet, or you know, announced he was God, um, he also gained a devoted following. Not just his wife and family who were forced to follow him. He actually got a following of people who left the church and all took the surname David. So everybody was, it was basically a cult of Davids. Like, you know, you had to be, if you're going to be in this cult, your last name's now David. Oh, imagine that could have been you. David, David. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, yeah. David, David. Nice to meet you. Middle name, David. David, David, David. David cubed. Never trust a man with a free first name. Of the same first name. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Emmanuel, you know, said he was the Messiah. And he instructed his followers to refer to him as God. So not only did you have to change your surname to David, you now had to be like, hey, God, how's it going? You're, 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 you're the God. And he would sometimes refer to himself as, you know, the big three, Holy Ghost, God, <laughs> and Jesus. And he genuinely believed in this. Like, I always say this about, he, I know he's like totally wacky and we're like laughing about he's very mentally deranged, but he's got to have, he must have been affable and he's got to have had charisma to have then enticed these other people to come and even just like refer to him as God or I'd be like, hello, Holy Ghost, how you doing today? Yeah, like uh, just wondering what I can do for you. Like you need some more money, here's some money. Like he's got to have the charisma. He de- I think he definitely, I think he probably had more charisma than you know, Bob Hickman, you know, the guy who got under my yeah. body as a body the same size. But I think they're equally mental. There's no doubt that he's obviously, this man is schizophrenic. But to be a cult leader, I do think you have to ha- have a cult of personality. You have to be affable, likable. You have to be somebody like Jim Do- Jones who commands a type of like authoritative respect that, as well. That's what, that's what I was saying. You have to convey authority. Like people need to believe in you. And yes. probably you see, I think you need that 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 perfect mix of charisma, authority, and bullshit that you believe. I mean, this guy was passionate about this. Like he really thought he was God. Yeah. And so his followers behave like a cult. I mean, they followed him around. They they worshipped him. Um, he moved the entire group out of Salt Lake City to a, a town called Manti, which is uh, about 125 miles south of uh, mm-hmm. of Salt Lake. Manti's. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Manti. You know what a Manti is, don't you? Uh, they were able to gain some financial success there, uh, mainly from donations from some of the citizens of Manti, the Mantatites. <laughs> um, they also ran a, uh, a knife crafting business. So I guess they what? made knives, which is a bit concerning for a cult to make knives. 
Yeah, it's like Charles Manson's other hobby or something, making all these knives. That's a very well, random, uh, random like uh, job. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it's lucrative. They made money from it. Uh, they also the the cult actually gifted uh, a sword to their to their god. So, Manti, some of the the, the residents of Manti. I don't know if it's Manti or Manti. I'm assuming it's Manti. It's, it's Mantis. It's definitely a pair of male Mantis. So uh, a neighbor said that they would see often, like it was common, to see you know David, Emmanuel David, the god here, bearded, long-haired, and he was actually kind of gaining a lot of weight. He was like a big guy. And he would walk around with a three-and-a-half-foot sword that he would carry. And he claimed to everybody that there's a time I'm going to be using this to lop off thousands of heads just to let you guys know, okay? It's like, I, it, at that point, I would have been like, he should have started calling himself Zeus. <laughs> well, uh, he more or less did. He went back during this period when he's got the sword and the hair and the beard. He went back home to New York, to Yonkers, to visit his mother. And he told her in just this kind of like congenial type voice. Like he, was, he wasn't like, you know, enraged and, 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 and commanding. He mm-hmm. just told her like offhand, like, so I'm uh, the Holy Ghost now, by the way. You know, I'm, I'm God. <sighs> Got a sword. And the mother said, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm not fully convinced. And he said, well, if you came live with me and obeyed my rules in Manti, Manti, Utah, <laughs> um, then you'll learn that I'm God. And she's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And so she changed the subject. She declined, changed the subject. And uh, it was the last time that they spent more than five minutes together. Uh, I must say his mom has incredible patience because I just wouldn't have ever had him back well, ever again. Wouldn't you like, okay, my son's a crazy person. You know, he's walking around with a sword and a big beard saying he's God. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to hang out with him anymore. Yeah, that's it for me. The relationship is over. I bet it was yeah. a cool sword though. You know, that actually um, somebody was arrested when I was a student. I lived, um, I lived in like more in the center of town near the uni and some dude went raj one day and he went up and down the street a street that was like two streets over from mine with a huge fuck off sword like a broadsword like a like the vikings used it, like yeah more like a lot of the rings like ornamental <laughs> sword that he had sharpened wow and did he kill anybody yeah did he no he didn't kill anybody no. but he was uh, attacking cars and he was going for it. He was just going full on, like having a breakdown, going Raj. But it was great just reading that headline. Man arrested with sword. Because I'm obviously in a very like Viking territory part of the world. It was just like, ah, oh, this is this is like the old days. The I remember in, in, the street is in college, uh, Wackley and I, I guess Wackley worked with the guy at the at the pizza place, at the, the backroom pizza place. His name is Rory. And he was just kind of like this kind of weird quiet guy and uh anyway one day um i remember i had a class with rory and he would just sit there the whole time doodling his notebook drawing barbarians like frazetta type okay. drawings yeah he was weird I like it. and so anyway he was super into like uh like power metal like maiden type of metal um so anyway i remember me wackerly and uh oh, what the fuck was your name anna the chick that lived with us we all went over to Rory's house. I don't know why, how we ended up there, but we were wasted. And we go to Rory's, it was not even his house. It was a, he lived in a house with some people. But we went to his room, and I swear to God, he must have had 16 swords, all like mounted on the walls. And so 
he went, I think, to go get his beer, and we were so drunk that we like grabbed swords and started like fighting, like in the in the living room. And he came out and flipped the fuck out on us. Yeah, because they're his ornamental swords. <laughs> do you know how much they cost? I don't know, but it was funny. We're like, why do you have these? I bet you he's the type of guy, not that to proclaim himself God, but I bet you he's the type of guy to lose it and start smashing up someone's, you know, Honda Civic with a fucking sword. Yeah, well, I mean, why not? You've got a sword for a reason. You might as well use it at some some point. Like, it's just uh, weird. Bruce to, here, who is now see, Emmanuel. It's just weird to see people with, uh, with the, with, you know, who own like five hundred dollars swords. Also, while I just said his name, Emmanuel, it's not really a white person name to me. Emmanuel is like an R and B singer's name. Well, once it's a biblical name. Yeah, I, I know, but I mean, it's still it like how many white people called Emmanuel have you ever met? Well, these. these Manny, you know, it's, it's a Jewish name. Manny. Yeah, Manny. He's like a 1970s dude. So in 1971, um, he, uh, Emmanuel and his cult here, uh, they left Manti and they traveled across the Western states where they stayed in hotels and just left unpaid bills. He loved staying in like, you know, a suite that cost like 500 bucks a night and the, and the cult paid for it. Oh, I love it. See, yeah. this is the part of being a cult leader I would also enjoy. Well, I mean, to to their detriment, like a lot of them became homeless because they were giving all the money they made to to support their god in these fucking fancy hotels. Ridiculous. Yeah, sod it. I'm in a hotel room. I'm getting a uh, room service. I'm getting like the lobster dish, and I'm in one of those fluffy towels. Like, yeah, call me God, bitch. They also would uh, would skip out of town and just leave unpaid bills. You know, so anyway, they did that for about six years. 1977, they decided to settle in Salt Lake City. Round number two, back to Salt Lake City. And so Emmanuel and Rachel and their children moved into a suite on the top floor of the International Dunes Hotel, downtown Salt Lake City. The International Dunes became the Shiloh Inn, which is now the uh, Holiday Express Inn. Um, So around this time, the Davids had seven children whose names given at birth were Marcy, Ava, Frank, Anthony, Deborah, Rebecca, and Charles Bruce, but then later changed to Rachel, Elizabeth, Joshua, Deborah, Joseph, David, and Rebecca, all biblical names. Oh, my goodness. I was about yeah. to say, out of all those names, Frank is my favorite because uh, my dad was named Frank, but now there's no Frank, so I don't like yeah, any Yeah, there's no Frank kids. in the Bible. The, what? Um, well, the there should be. So, as you can imagine, these kids must have been weird. Uh, yeah, you know they never <laughs> they had never been to a public school. Weird. Even like uh, Salt Lake City School Authority said we didn't even know they existed. Um, Would the hotel staff not be a bit like, uh, "There's kids here all day long"? Wouldn't if I was like the cleaning lady, I'd be like, "I'm going to ring child services." Well, the Davids said they operated their own school, so these kids were Rachel, you know the uh, the wife here homeschooled the children, which actually is kind of common in Utah. I bet it is, but I bet those kids are also being given a well-rounded education, whereas you know that these kids were just hearing about how daddy is a god. Yeah. That's all they're hearing. The book of Emmanuel. I'm sure he wrote his own Bible at that oh, at definitely. This point. But, they, you know, they're, they were taught reading, art, math, along with Bible studies. You know, I've always thought, it was so weird, the other day, we kind of get into this on the second show, but the other day... Um, I was talking to a guy I work with who is actually a really cool guy. He's probably a couple years younger than me. He's got three kids. He homeschools his kids. 
Uh, yeah, but he lives in L.A. Now, he lives a little bit outside of L.A., but it's still, I mean, you can go to, I mean, private schools here are extraordinarily expensive, but homeschooling your kids, I mean, he was saying, like, you know, his wife is really into it. It was his wife's decision. She's the one that pretty much, you know, teaches them. And you download curriculums and you, like, teach the kids. But how do you, my question is, how do you socialize these kids? That's what I was just about to say, because... Yeah, you're probably in some ways getting a better education, although I don't think you should have your parents ever be your teachers because rules are made to be broken. You've got to rebel at some point. But I think 90% of what you learn in school is socialization, is going to groups, doing things you never normally wouldn't do, pushing your own boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. That's what school is. In some ways, it's a lot like a jail. You've got to learn these rules so that you don't become a weird adult. Well, and th- I've, I've only ever met one homeschooled kid, and she was pretty fucking weird. Like she was just a weird person, very shy, very awkward, and like I don't know, kind of like a Patty Smith type of shyness to her. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I almost say like they're kind of autistic in a way. It's weird. You know, we had in Bay City. There's a. a I think they were Jehovah's Witnesses, but they homeschooled their kids. And you would see them every now and then, you know, like uh, when you played like community sports at the boys club, you'd see their weird fucking kids that were really awkward and didn't know how to interact with normal kids, you know, at these like community events. But they, you know, they didn't attend any, they'd never been to our public school. So we didn't really know them. You just knew of them. And I imagine it was a similar situation here with the, the David kids. You know, they never used a swimming pool in the hotel. Never used public playgrounds. Um, employees at the hotel said that they would come out of their suite, you know, on the top floor once a week, following their parents obediently. The boys all wore the same neatly braided hair that the father did. This and, is uh, just really yeah, sad for and them. When people spoke to them or addressed the kids, and the hotel employees would address them, the kids would look up at their father and wait for their, the father to nod before they could speak back. Poor little fuckers, like, this is no life. Uh, in some ways, I feel their death will be a release. <laughs> so, yeah, the boys had to wear their hairs in braids. The girls' hair was all long, parted in the middle, pulled away from their face by barrettes. That, yeah, that's a look. That's a look that's popular like now, man. I've, I've rocked. Um, we don't call them barrettes here. We could just call them hair clips. But I have rocked many a hair clip in my day. Um, the children, I guess, after the deaths... Uh, the children left artwork in the motel, charcoal sketches and watercolors of the dead of uh, landscapes, but also of their father as God. And oh, no. uh, there's words on one of these on the paper that was printed in pencil that said, praise thee to Emmanuel, King of Holiness, our father. I want one of the pictures to be a pentagram where it's just like, slay of rules. <laughs> just a pe- Could you imagine? I bet you the father probably would have chucked you off the building. Yeah, it didn't it? I would have done it just to piss off Emmanuel. So the hotel manager, Jim Bradley here at the Dunes, uh, said that the family lived in a suite that cost $90 a day. So this is like 1978, 77, 90 bucks a day. And it was paid for daily with a crisp $100 bill. Uh, The family frequented uh, expensive restaurants in the area. And Emmanuel, like he's a big guy. I said before, like he's six foot four, weighed 300 pounds, had a huge appetite. Um, Essentially, the family required about $300 a day to maintain their lifestyle. That's about 1200 bucks, you know, in today's money. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, I was reading somewhere. It said that, uh, actually, I was going to ask you about this. 
So they ordered catered meals several times a week from a local French restaurant. And they were so accustomed to uh, Emmanuel David's taste that the manager sometimes created unusual Napoleons and cream puffs, especially for him. What's a Napoleon? I think it must, if he's, if it, the second question, one is cream puffs, I think it must be like um, a confectionery item. It must be like uh, a some kind of dessert. Yeah. I've never heard Something of like an eclair, which I could eat all of those things right now. Hmm. Well, the living expenses here, which were, you know, sizable, 1200 bucks a day by our That's standards, insane uh, amount of money. were funded by their followers because Emmanuel hadn't worked in years. So they must have some followers who are making a good bit of bank or they've got enough followers that they're like, Jesus, I'm in the wrong business. Well, some faithful members actually sold their homes and other belongings to provide for who they considered their God. Muffle them. Yeah. Um, Prospective members paid for the privilege of belonging to the group. One woman donated $25,000 to the David family. Wow. Yeah, some of them were homeless. And the followers also, and this is kind of what drew uh, FBI attention here, scrutiny from the FBI, um, they became adept at coming up with scams and frauds to commit to people uh, for their leader. So they were, you know, they were hoodwinking and scamming people to give money to the Davids to keep them up in their, uh, to, to, to afford their lavish lifestyle. Uh, they believed he was, he was a God. They, they believed and worshiped every single thing he said. It was gospel. It's a shame. There's no, uh, like video footage of him speaking. Cause like sometimes it's like, you know, obviously Hitler was very, uh, when you hear him, you're like, fuck yeah, I believe him. I don't even speak German. And I'm like, I'm for his cause because of like how good a speaker he was. And he must have just, Emmanuel just, must have just been able to like charm snakes out of wicker baskets. Well, he was very charming and it did work. And, you know, he had a, he had a cult that gave pretty much all their belongings to him. And not only that, scam people to get money, which yeah. is not very Christian. If you think no. about it. Anyway, <laughs> the kind of opposite of Christian. The FBI started investigating some of the wire fraud and, uh, and some of the scams that this, this cult was committing. And so it was around this time that uh, Emmanuel grew quite nervous. And uh, I think he, like, he moved the family around. Um, you know, and, but they, they, their, I think home base was, uh, was the, the dunes. Yes. Um, but he was definitely nervous. And I think uh, he thought that people were watching him. Um, he thought that they were being followed. He thought that their phones were tapped. He definitely had that like schizophrenic paranoia here. Um, so July 31st, 1978, Emmanuel had a friend that was outside of the cult, wasn't in the cult, but would often loan him money when he needed it. He cared for his family. Um, he was a missionary companion that was in the Mormon church. So he knew him from Uruguay. And he often would borrow his car, take his, his truck around when he needed it. So July 31st, 1978, Emmanuel went to his friend, um, went to his friend's work in a panic. And he's like, hey, I need your truck. And so the friend's like, Is, are you okay? He's like, sure, I'm fine. I just need, I really need your truck. So without hesitation, he handed him the keys. It was like, you know, um, you know take it as long as you want. Didn't even know when he was going to come back. The next day, August 1st, a hiker saw a truck parked off a canyon um, around actually near uh, Emigration Canyon, which is where Brigham Young and the members of the church entered Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake Valley. It's a very uh, 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 a Mormon, mm-hmm. mo- uh, a Mormon landmark here. And so in this truck, uh, the hiker saw a garden hose 
attached to the truck's exhaust pipe and the other end, you know, inside an open window. Any potential leaks were covered by a cl- like pieces of cloth. And there was a man sitting very still, motionless in the passenger seat with hair and braids and a very long beard. He'd done an ancestor. Guess who that is? 39-year-old Emmanuel David, deceased, in a truck, suicided. What a pussy. Well, you know, the, later that day, you know, officers, uh, you know, the, the hiker called the police. Police found the body, identifying as Emmanuel David. Uh, they arrived at the International Dunes Hotel to inform Rachel that her husband died. And Rachel seemed more worried than shocked. Like she, I don't think she was really that shocked that her husband committed suicide. She was more concerned that uh, how, how they're going to, like, how, how she's going to survive, how she's going to pay for the hotel, how she's going to pay for the funeral. You know, she didn't know what she was going to do, so she's concerned about her future. She did say to the police that her husband had been very depressed recently, and this was his, uh, and said there's a better place for him to go. He's going to return to heaven. It seems like, you know, at the end of um, Goodfellas, when Harry Nielsen starts playing, gonna jump into the fire. I mean, that song just kicked into Rachel's head at this point, and she's like, oh, shit. Well, I mean, she had to have been overwhelmed. I mean, like, she never worked. You know, she she wasn't can't think prophet. for herself. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. so she's just, she's never been independent. Um, so who knows really what happened that night, August 2nd, um, that caused her to make the decision that she did. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm thinking she was probably concerned. She probably obviously had mental health issues herself. You know, maybe she was panicking about her future. Maybe she thought, maybe she thought the future, she was depressed and thought that the future was bleak. Or maybe she thought she was going to join her husband in the kingdom, his kingdom of heaven. There is zero, no chance that these two didn't have pillow talk about this exact moment and about what's exactly going to happen. He was controlling her even in death. And he will have said, if I'm ever to die, you must die and the children must die because we can't leave the son of God. They will be like, you know, look what happened to Jesus. I'm, I'm thinking there's probably some kind of pact. A hundred percent it was a pact. So that day, August, uh, the morning of uh, August 2nd, 1978, hotel manager Jim Brandley was working at the front desk when his wife, who helped him manage the hotel, walked up to him at 7.30 a.m. and said, Jim, they're jumping from the balcony. And uh, he ran outside, and there was a small crowd gathered there. And up on the 11th floor, there are three young children standing on folding chairs next to the railing of the balcony. And so onlookers, I mean, it was obvious that the kids were going to jump. These are small (laughs) children. And onlookers started pleading and begging the mother who was standing next to them. I mean, could you imagine, like, they got that thousand-yard stare on the 11 stories (laughs) up, and they started begging the mom to stop. Like, stop what you're doing. <laughs> but she didn't I remember stop. when Michael Jackson dangled his baby and everyone was like, <gasps> like freaking this out. This is like this. Well, this is almost more ceremonial. Like, because these kids are standing on these folding chairs that she obviously, you know, positioned. And the mom's standing next to him. And the crowd's begging her to not do what she's about to do. And very calmly, she pushed each kid, Joseph, age eight, David, age seven, Rebecca, six, from their chairs over the railing and, uh, and, and, and 11 stories down hitting the pavement. She just oh, pushed man. him right off the balcony. 
Oh, and right became... after the, the first three fell off, some of the kids were so small, she'd actually lift them up on the chair. Um, the first three fell off, all perished. Um, and then next up, four more kids stepped on, <laughs> under the chairs. Rachel, 15, Elizabeth, 14, Joshua, 13, and Deborah, 9. Notice these kids, especially the older ones, I can understand like the young ones, you know, mm-hmm. wouldn't resist. But the older ones, wouldn't you be like, hey, mom, it's a bit, you're acting a bit out of line here. I think we should maybe talk about this before <laughs> we go you, join like, daddy. Bite and spit and like kick and like pull the hair and stuff and just run away. Well, it's really sad for these kids. The four older kids, Rachel, Elizabeth, jo- Joshua, and Deborah, they didn't need to be pushed by their mother. They willingly stepped off the ledge and fell 11 stories to their death. Well, not all of them died. Um, young Rachel, 15 years old, she actually survived. So Mental. autopsies on the victims revealed they also sustained fractures of their legs, ankles, and pelvis. So that meant that they fell fir- feet first. They hit the pavement feet first. Um, and none of the victims even made a sound. They, were, they weren't screaming. <laughs> my next, while I've been thinking it and imagining these kids falling, in my mind, each one was going, wee! <laughs> Because um, it's probably the most fun they've ever had. Like these kids have never been on like to a on a carousel. They've never been to a fairground. This jumping. is literally the only time they've ever had any form of adrenaline pumping through their body. Well, I mean, these kids, you know, kind of, you know, obviously believe they're going to go join their father, who they thought was God, and that God was going to protect them. You know, they were so brainwashed. Like lemmings, um, like little lemmings. Onlookers reported that. Uh, young Rebecca, who is only about six years old, she actually grabbed onto the railing as she was being pushed off by the mother. And Rachel pulled her fingers, her daughter's fingers loose. One by one. Yeah, so she'd fall off. And there's bruising on this uh, this kid's palms and fingertips, which verified, you know, what happened. Uh, No suicide notes were found. Children were not wearing shoes when they stepped onto the balcony. The, actually, their their shoes were found uh, placed in neatly in plastic bags in the room. They go. That's definitely like a pact, isn't it? It's like a heaven's gate, and we go. That's we're all going to put thinking. on Although, our new track suits and our new Nikes. Whee! Didn't Heaven's Gate get like especially made, like custom made Nikes for the for the the trip? They did, yeah. and all the none of the males had balls for their trips either. I've heard if you can find a pair of those. They're worth a lot of money. You cannot. You cannot find it. them. They're cool. They're cool looking. They're like these black Nikes. Oh, um, I thought you meant the ones they were wearing when they died. You mean oh, that era? You probably can fucking find them on eBay. I don't know. I mean, they were custom made. I mean, he had them custom, you know, manufactured. You can, Maybe. You, you can, can find everything that. on eBay. Yeah. So now uh, all seven of the kids were pushed off the balcony, off the ledge. And so Rachel was standing all alone. All alone. On the ledge, just staring, staring out. And then she sat on the chair and just kind of sat there, you know, thousand yard stare, probably thinking about, I'm going to join my husband. And uh, the crowd at this point were, you know, livid, livid, not to mention traumatized. And so apparently, this is from onlookers, my favorite part of the story. The crowd started chanting in unison, jump, bitch, jump. You know what song I know is going through her head right now? House of Pain's um, Jump? No, it's All By Myself by Celine Dion. All by myself. <laughs> Wait, what's that House of Pain song that I'm thinking of? No, I think Crisscross Cross had that song, Jump. 
Forget yeah. Jump Around was the House of Pain song. Anyway, the crowd's yelling, you know, chanting, jump, jump bitch, jump. And after sitting on the chair for about 30 seconds, the onlookers stopped chanting. They saw Rachel scoot herself towards the edge of the rail and just lunge forward and fall the concrete below. Oh, so she didn't do um, uh, feet first like the kids. No, she like fell the, head first. Wee! She just like, just like, yeah, went head first. That's pretty gnarly. So six of the David uh, family members landed on a canopy roof of the hotel that was nine stories below, while three other ones fell the entire 11 stories before landing on the concrete. All of them were taken to the hospital, pronounced dead, except for Rachel, the oldest child, who's 15 years old. She survived somehow the 11-story fall. Did she land on the concrete? Did she land on the canopy? She landed like, on the concrete. Did she? She must have like landed on her side or something. I mean, she was brought to the hospital, both legs broken, multiple injuries to her pelvis, arms, jaw, teeth, tongue, shoulders, Ugh. skull. I mean, pretty much the, the, the cop that was on the scene was like, it was as bad as you can get and not be dead. Wow. So she was in a coma, and uh, she was admitted to the shock and trauma unit of the LDS hospital. Um, she had multiple surgeries. She was in a coma for weeks, you know, faded in and out of consciousness, but she eventually recovered enough to be released. Um, but she had, like, severe brain damage and limited mobility, you know, for the rest of her life, not to mention mental and emotional trauma from what transpired. I mean, <laughs> she just she was murdered by her mother. You're not going to get over that. Yeah, like, could she even remember it? You know, she could recall it, but just bits and pieces. I mean, she had suffered, like, you know, severe brain trauma. Yeah. So it was around this time, you know, obviously this made uh, national headlines. So Emmanuel's mother, uh, Luzanne, and brother Dean, who was a police chief in Florida, uh, were just like, we said that they were not interested in taking possession of the family's belongings. They also said, we don't have enough money to pay for the funeral services. So... Yeah, I mean, they uh, pretty much the, the, the community, the community ended up paying for the, the, the kids' burials. No way. So are they buried in SLC? Uh, yeah, they're all buried in Salt Lake City. The state paid for the burial of the eight family members at a cost of $3,400. Uh, they're placed in little gray caskets, all with a spray of flowers, pink for the girls, yellow for the boys. Oh, my goodness. About 120 people, uh, mostly family members, press, and members of the community, attended the service. The Lord's Prayer was recited, um, and the, uh, the owner of the funeral home delivered the eulogy. Um, after requesting a moment of silence, he said, the way they lived was no more a mystery than the way they died. Well, I mean, the way they died wasn't really a mystery because everyone got to watch. <laughs> the mother chucked him off. Uh... <laughs> Wee! Uh, so they... tell me about the ghost stories. Well, we'll get to that in one second. They speculated that the reason... Emmanuel committed suicide was due to the loss of his disciples, resulting in less cash. So he couldn't afford to, uh, you know, to, 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 to live there, you know, on top of a suite of a hotel. No um, more cream puffs. <laughs> I shall die. <laughs> there were pending FBI investigations, so the heat was coming from there. Also, he was a bit concerned about the unfulfilled prophecies that, you know, California is going to fall into the ocean. Salt Lake City yeah. is going to be consumed by fire. And he also, uh, they think he misinterpreted a voice in his head as a revelation to kill himself and instructing Rachel to do the same when Uh he was gone. Yeah, I definitely knew they would have a pact. So there's no way that Rachel would have, I just don't 
if she's been so dutiful and following him along, there's no way she would just out of nowhere decide to push these kids off the balcony. She's been coached to do that. Definitely. So yeah. what happened to, uh, to young Rachel, 15 years old? Well, so I was reading, I was reading up on the, uh, the cult of Emmanuel David, and they're still around. They still How? have followers to this day that believe that Emmanuel David's going to come back as God. He's going to return. He, he, he's not. <laughs> what the fuck? They Why? Think he's gonna, Why any are day now, like this? They're going to return to earth. You know, Emmanuel's going to come back to earth as God, and they're all going to worship him. There's about a dozen, dozen members of the family of David. That's what they're called now. And they've all oh, changed their last wackos. names to okay. David. <laughs> so one member, one uh, significant member here of the cult is 15 year is a, uh, was now she's 58 uh but uh young uh young rachel here who at the age of yeah. 15 survived a hundred foot plunge from a balcony but she's got brain damage so that shows you the level of uh people who have to be in this cult she has like severe brain damage she lives with her uh her uncle adopted her uh jacob david um and uh yeah they they uh they're an insane Mormon, you know, rabidly religious cult. Uh, there's a testimonial letter letter that they distributed about their the family of David. Um, they still maintain, they outline their beliefs, they still maintain that Emmanuel David's God, he's going to return to earth as God. They feel that Mormons and Catholics are the Antichrist. So they're, they're against Mormonism. Oh, hate them now. Yeah. It's like a once burned. Um. My favorite thing that they uh, that they believe here is that the star of David, which is a you know a Jewish symbol, uh-huh. actually belongs to Emmanuel David, not the Jews. The Jews stole oh. that. They, they've oh, been using they? it unfairly. Yeah, they say that white people are the real Israelites, the true children of God, not the Jews, and their religious uh, beliefs stem from a, a so-called lost book of the Bible that only Emmanuel can read. I bet. <laughs> and they yeah. believe. The, this is the members of the family of David that still exist today. They believe they're biblical figures that are reincarnated. So one of them believes he's Moses. Another one believes he's Abraham. Um, one feels that he's Adam. And Eve is the disabled survivor of the hotel plunge. Rachel David. Hear they, me out here. They live in Colorado. I'm going to go to Colorado. I'm going to infiltrate this cult. I'm going to say that I'm Jezebel. Come back to life. And I'm just going to fuck them all i doubt that's gonna happen i think they probably would murder you is that what actually happened to jezebel did she get murdered i don't think so I think she was delilah a, then a i'm gonna be delilah Bible. i'm just gonna cut all their braids off wow so jacob david who uh provides you know care for rachel uh with his three sons and his wife ruth david everybody's last name is david <laughs> Um, they take care of uh, Rachel, but Rachel can't remember what happened to her in 1978. She says it's all very hazy. She's she lives in you know she's she's not mobile. She has to use a wheelchair. Her speech is very halting. Like she has difficulty pronouncing words and speaking in uh, complete sentences. And she gets frustrated that she can't speak more quickly. Yeah, I, I imagine like you know all the cylinders aren't firing properly. I think there's probably one cylinder that kind of works half the time. <laughs> um, she said. It's something I want to shove out. I want my family back. Uh, she's severely uh, crippled. Uh, she can't walk without uh, the aid of a walker. Um, 
you know, in, in, for her leisure time activities, she enjoys painting by number art. She likes to drink coffee and she loves to listen to Neil Diamond. She sounds exactly like you. <laughs> Those are free hobbies that you enjoy. I love painting by numbers. I drink coffee. And you love Neil, Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond's my favorite. I actually I tried if... to get you a Neil Diamond autograph picture, but oh my God, trying to outbid those ladies on eBay went insane. It went for over a hundred pounds. I wonder if Neil Diamond would do like a Make-A-Wish type thing, go visit her. Uh, maybe. I think she would die of a heart attack if she saw him. <laughs> She's the same for you. <laughs> so, you know, the uh, the family of David mostly lives in Colorado and they have, uh, they and but they're, they're, you know, there's some members that live in uh, Idaho and other states and they meet at least once or twice a year at Priest Lake in Idaho. Oh, how you know, nice. that would, that... I bet you, you know, people out there don't steal our idea, but that'd be a good documentary. Judas Priest Lake. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the prophets who thinks he's Moses here uh, said the star of David, that's the Lord's star, doesn't have anything at all to do with the Jews. Uh-huh. They took it. And people think we're Jewish, but we're not. Because they wear gold stars of David. Just like oh, the they've Jews got bling. Do. Oh, yeah. They wear gold stars of David. He said, we're the Israelites from the lost tribes of Israel. This is God's star, not the Jews' star. Well, I, I like Amy Winehouse. She had an awesome uh, uh, star of David, like just big old gold chav jewelry. Hers was the best. I'm going to get you one. Was, I'll pick was you she one in the cult? No, Amy Winehouse is a Jew. She's a Jewess. She, she like was you. The, uh, the cult of whiskey. Did you did you not see her in the uh, in the meetings? No, I never actually. Yeah, I wonder if she had a bat mitzvah. Yeah, she did. There's pictures of her at her brother's bat mitzvah. Hmm. That would have been that would have been fun. Anyway, so the hotel where all this happened, the Dunes, became the Shiloh Inn, like in the yes. '80s. And it was a Shiloh Inn for a while. And about eight years ago, it became the Holiday Express Inn. It's at if you're if you live in Salt Lake City, if you're driving through, it's at 206 Southwest Temple. You're gonna drive right by it when you go to the airport. Um, I had actually I was researching spots to go see in Salt Lake, and that's why that came up because the most one of the most most haunted places in Utah. Um, so apparently, the uh, the story actually has or the the hotel has 12 stories. So they were staying in the 11th, but they went up to the roof to go uh, jump off. Um, guests and employees claim that they hear footsteps and screams of children like you know children playing that type of thing um they said that uh it's very common to hear a woman's laughter like a disembodied laugh in the pool area oh well that's weird because they never went to the pool and also it's terrifying when you hear a disembodied laugh does anybody hear that they hear (laughs) no they don't hear that um in addition employee in addition uh employees say that the the children um like the pinball machine. And you can often just be heard going on at night, just playing. But no one's there. There is no way that hotel still has a fucking pinball machine. I think it does. I think it has like a little game room. When we go to SLC to do our Bundy Gilmore um, discovery trip, we're going to stay at this hotel and we should try and stay in the same suite. Oh, that would be amazing if we can get the suite that they lived in. Yeah, and we'll do, you know, we won't drink coffee. We'll be very chaste. We'll put on the special underwear. Can we reenact the scene with the chairs? Wee! <laughs> According to the hotel maintenance man, the entities like to hang out on the 13th floor 
most often, and they played tricks on him by unscrewing light bulbs and moving his maintenance tools around. Oh, those pesky ghosts <laughs> unscrewing those bulbs. Those pesky scamps haunting oh. the hotel. Um, yeah, it is considered, the Shiloh Inn is considered one of the most haunted places in Utah. So, I, you know, if anyone's ever, ever actually stayed there, I'd love to hear Let some stories know. about it and give us a call. But uh, I definitely want to stay there next time I go to Utah. Had I known well, about got- that, I would have asked my work to put me up in it. We're definitely going to stay there next That'd time. That'd be amazing. Uh, anyway, people, uh, I, I guess the takeaway here is uh, don't, don't follow someone around who claims to be God. Just don't. Yeah, don't throw your kids off balconies. Although I can see why you would want to throw a kid off a balcony. I think it would be very freeing. And if a man who says he's God tells you to do that, don't believe him. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, this is episode 862 here, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. Hey, guys. It's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my Luke Eric's disease got pretty bad, let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code, Diddle. I am now a new man. Thanks. So you got some phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032. People, you should uh, give us a call. We need some more calls. We need some good calls. I want want some, like, uh, some some engaging narratives here. Well, instead of just people ringing up and farting down the phone. Well, there's that or just yelling anti-Semitic slurs. I want something more than that, you know? I, I, know, I, know, I know we can do better, all right? 323-522-4032. And if you don't want to call, you can email us, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. Just send us an MP3. Anyway, this next listener uh, was, was very adamant that we play his calls. He actually sent them like two or three times. So uh, it's been a while since we've heard from the WAD. I'm trying to think last time he, he was on the show. Probably, like what, a couple months ago? We ha- we play him on the Patreon more. He always has spicy stories. Well, he, he just had uh, twins, right? Two twin girls? Yes. Uh, I'm still waiting for him. I think he confirmed which one was the evil one. Ooh, there is definitely an evil one. Uh, anyway, the Wad just had these two twins. So um, here's some, here's some, here's a, let's catch up with the Wad. Find out what's going on in his life. He's a dad now. Hello, Kate and D. It's me, the Wad. So, uh, my 10-year-old daughter uh, recently, uh, she accidentally left her iPhone in the laundry basket. Wait a second. He's got a 10-year-old kid? Yeah, he has over kids. But, like, 10-year-olds have phones now? Yeah, that's surprising. That, that, is, that is weird. How many kids does he have? I tell you what, I would be like a Mormon about it. And I'd be like, no phones. You're not allowed a phone until like, because remember when you were a kid and you weren't given a house key? Like, I don't think I got a house key till I was maybe like 13, 14. How'd you get That's... into the house? Latchkey. We were latchkey kids. Do you know what that means? Yeah. 
So you stayed at someone like a like a nearby uh, like neighbor well, or something. Because both my parents would be at work. Yeah, we'd just come home and we'd basically play out or we'd go to somebody else's house until about dinner time and then we'd go home. We were latchkey. We weren't, you know, we weren't to be trusted with a house key. So I don't think kids should be, if kids, if I wasn't trusted with a fucking house key, then why are kids 10 year olds being trusted with a phone? Yeah, I wonder if, uh, I don't know if the rabbi would have given us phones, but I think it's such a normal thing now. You kind of have to. No, it's no, you know? it isn't because not every kid had a fucking Game Boy. I guess, but I think a lot of people. I don't know. I just think, like all the people I work with, they're uh, you know, kids that are in like junior high or whatever, even elementary school. They already have phones. But what are they using these phones for? If they're just using them as a gaming system, then you can get them a Switch. You can get them a PSP. Maybe they're like they're they... on Facebook. I don't know TikTok. That's what kids, you know, what are the kids on do Facebook. these days. TikTok. The kids love the TikToks. They're making fucking reels. I don't know. I'm not a kid. <laughs> like you. <laughs> yeah. She was carrying it downstairs. She didn't have any pockets. And she forgot to take her phone out of the basket, and her phone ended up being thrown in the wash. One of my and biggest fears. We tried all the usual tricks to save a wet iPhone. However, after a couple days, it was clear that this phone was done. Needless to say, my daughter was extremely upset. She felt really guilty about the whole thing, uh, obviously very upset about her phone. And I explained to her that everyone has broken a phone at one time in their life. And she shouldn't beat herself up about it. Well, don't you give them like the shitty older phones? You know, you're not getting a brand new iPhone for a kid. Yeah, you give them a, a shitty older phone and then, oh my God, I am about to like touch my formica table here. But I am so paranoid about breaking a phone because I once went a couple of months without the internet when I was older. And you just don't realize how much you fucking rely on your phone until you don't have it. I've never broken a phone. And I would have said to my kids, that's also one of my, whenever I do my laundry, for some reason, I'm convinced I've thrown my phone in the washing machine and I have to put it in a place where I can see it. So I know it's not in the laundry. Wait, like, why did why did you go on, uh, why did you stop? The internet were you just searching for oh that's when i got flooded porn? so you were searching for too much child porn is that and you were like, i gotta stop <laughs> i was looking at jean bernay memes <laughs> on the internet and they cut me off and then yeah. the entire city that i lived in flooded and i didn't have the internet for two months and let me tell you what it was a long two months and the only thing i missed and it was actually strange that this was the only thing i missed was youtube i didn't miss anything else i just wanted you you're addicted back. to youtube I, I don't even know how you fell asleep yeah, I, I don't know either, man. I don't know how I got through those hard times. But every day I was like, I just want to watch YouTube. It's all I want. Yeah. So in order to make my daughter feel better about the situation, I decided to tell her about the night I broke my first phone. So here we go. Parenting with the wad. <laughs> now, several memorable events took place that night. So it won't just be about the phone. So my phone was a shitty Sony Ericsson. This was like 2005. The night I broke it, I went to see Crowbar and Corrosion of Conformity. Ooh. Oh, wow. I spent a lot of time. That'd been a good show. CSC. I haven't seen that in a long time. In the pit during both bands. But halfway through Corrosion of Conformity, some dude's forehead just straight up slammed into my mouth. Oh. And I immediately felt blood dripping from my mouth, I ran into the bathroom to check it out, 
and I had two big gashes, one on the outside of the left side of my upper lip and one on the inside. Uh, this is exactly why you don't go in a fucking pit. Yeah, but the what's talking, like, this is what, mid-2000s? Like, we were all young then, and that's no, when you I go even, in the pit. I mean, I guess I did go in the pit when I was very young, but I was never a big pit person. First of all, I don't like to, I don't like to be that close to these, like, shirtless, sweaty fucking dudes. I also don't want to get, the, the other thing, too, is I don't want, like, an errant fist or head or something, like, knocking into my face. Oh, I used to get involved. I, I used to get into the pit. I used to fucking crowd. I used to like stage dive, crowd surf. I used to do it all. But I'm too, uh, now I just like standing at the back with a beer and just like watching the kids take take it and do what I used to uh, do. There's nothing worse than that. When I was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm far removed. I'm in the back just enjoying the show, drinking a beer. Don't want to get my beer knocked all over me. Don't want to lose no. my beer. Don't want to get touched by some disgusting, sweaty, shirtless, fat ass. But that's an, the way it should be. We sh- if whenever you see an older person in the pit, I'm always like, "What are you doing? Come on, get to the God. back with us. You shouldn't be in there. Ugh. This is you stand with us, old. Also, like we're too old. Like I think my body would hurt. Like I think just thrashing about like that, I would be like, "Oh, my back. You know, my knees. Yeah. Too old for that. <laughs> Arthritis. My asthma. Start- yeah, my asthma. Exactly." rinsing and wiping all the blood off my face and when the bleeding finally slowed down i decided to go back and continue enjoying the show and i decided to just keep drinking until my face stopped hurting and it worked i even got back in the pit every so often a little bit of blood would drip out of the gash on the outside of my mouth and i would have been fucking avoiding this guy covered in blood and a big face wound in the pit i wouldn't have gone anywhere near him you'd be terrified of him i'm not catching fucking aids at a corrosion of conformity show well at least you know that the ward has the uh, good aids and not the bad aids yeah yeah kept wiping it on my face like war paint and after we left the show Uh, One of my friends pulled out an old-school camcorder. Now, this was 2005, so nobody had a camera phone yet. And we had been watching a lot of bum fights lately and decided to go up and down the street and see if we could find any homeless people that we could pay (laughs) to do some dumb shit. End of part one. Wow. Nice cliffhanger there. You know, as... As humorous and enjoyable the bum fights video was, I imagine it uh, instigated a lot of events like this. Just like dumbasses, they're like, "We're gonna pay, give you know, a homeless guy a forty to go kick the shit out of himself or, or someone it, else." You know, I think it did, and and didn't they say it was like becoming a human rights issue because people were forgetting that the homeless were, were people and they were just buying them. Well, I to mean, do people so. still do that, but I, I know like. Uh, wasn't it the Bums fight, Fights videos? There's one homeless guy that they like had him just run face first into a brick wall, gave him like 50 bucks. I only saw Bum Fights like once because it wasn't really in my bag. I saw it like once when I was like, me and the water pretty similar ages. So I'd have been the same age as him in 2005. I'm, I remember when that came out. We, uh, we did a whole review on the Rampage Radio. <laughs> I bet, yeah, yeah. I like Jacka. Yeah, and Jackass, I mean, they basically did the same type of thing, but on themselves. 
you know, with, yeah. I mean, it was like Sivo would, would run into a wall by himself. He's not, you know, they're not going and uh, exploiting homeless people. And CKY. Also, uh, while we're on the subject of Jackass and CKY, I did just tweet Jimmy Pop, who has, uh, you know, he's involved with Jackass members. And, and he commented back to me. So he's my new best friend, my new official best friend. Wait, did you send him the meme, the Adam Levine meme I made? Yes, I sent him the meme and then he commented back. What do you say? Uh, nice smiley laughing face. He said what? <laughs> smiley laughing emoji. You guys are best friends. You guys are BFFs. He's my bestie. BFFs, me and Jimmy yeah. Pop. Hello, Kate and Dee. It's me again, the Wad. The Wad. With part two on how I broke my first phone. So we decided to go up and down the street trying to find some homeless person that we could pay to do some dumb shit so we could film it because we were obsessed with bum fights. So we eventually came across this uh, crackhead outside a convenience store. And we offered to pay him 10 bucks to dive into the dumpster out back. Now, he wasn't performing up to our specifications. He was just kind of climbing into the dumpster. So I took it upon myself to demonstrate how we would like it done. I took a running start from across the street and dived into this dumpster. And there was a college party going on nearby what, what was the, the the end goal here like what were they going to do with the video like put it up on youtube uh youtube wasn't even around then yeah that's what i'm I wondering think... like are you just going to watch it with your mates like this is a video yeah. of us getting a bum to to dive into a dumpster we used to fucking just film each of us skating around or rollerblading around god knows who has those films nowadays I don't want to be associated with those films of my past. <laughs> sure, there's a lot of films of my past. On the internet. Yeah. And a large group of people standing outside the party gave me a standing ovation. Nice. The next morning, I realized that the screen on my phone was no longer working, and I'm fairly confident it broke during the dumpster dive. Now, over the next couple of days, the left side of my upper lip continued to swell and get worse. And by the I imagine with an open wound on your lip, diving into a, a, a dumpster <laughs> is probably a good idea. So I actually think being clean. around all those sweaty men at a COC gig is probably what <laughs> made it worse. They're probably yeah. filthier than any hobo. Third day, I straight up looked like the elephant man. I was sitting in my car after work, and I lifted up my lip to take a look at the gash on the inside of my mouth and the small amount of pressure from simply lifting my upper lip back caused a large glob of pus to come shooting out of the wound. <sighs> so I literally had a bunch of pus in my mouth and I gagged and spit it out. It was at that point I decided to immediately go to urgent care. They gave me a tetanus shot and some heavy duty antibiotics. And within four days, the swelling was nearly gone and I was back at the bar. And uh, after telling my daughter this story, I told her, you know, breaking a phone is almost like a rite of passage. And at least in her case, she was just a kid that made a simple mistake and not a grown-ass man who broke his phone doing a bunch of dumb shit. And believe it or not, the story really cheered her up. Even more so when we got her a new iPhone a few weeks later. Say, I am a total psycho, but I love my kids more than anything. My goal is to be the anti-version of my father. My father was a total misogynist, and I've made it my lifelong goal to empower my girls. I want to raise them to be total badasses, just like their amazing mother. Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. 
Well, that's a good goal there. Daddy. Yeah. And um, I mean, you know, it would have been funny, though, if these kids got to, to have your father as their grandfather. Imagine what he would have taught them. Oh, my them. God. I bet you made him work never, in the store. I would never let them go and hang out with the Wad's dad. Yeah, I wonder if the Wad would have let his uh, his dad see his, his grandkids. God, imagine him babysitting them. You have to go in the back and kill the lamb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> it just slaughter the baby bunnies. Those the kids are going to have some in their chest. The, no, the what's kind great... of a dad I wish uh, I'd had. Instead, I had a, a daddy drank situation. But, oh, I mean, drinks, it's but... your lot in life. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think Wad's going to have some cool kids. That's for sure. He's going to be a great yeah. dad. You know what's funny? I remember, I'm sure I told the story on the show before. But I remember uh, I was with jo- JoJo and Sleazy E, and we went and checked out the Bronx. Remember that band, the Bronx? Uh, yeah the Bronx are pretty fucking awesome man yeah they're touring right now actually really fun show they kind of started doing this mariachi thing that I wasn't super into still cool but it's like one of those things you could see once the mariachi Bronx but the Bronx themselves uh you know kind of punk rock and roll really cool band anyway we saw them at the uh the independent in San Francisco and I remember like we were kind of standing like I don't go in the I don't go in the pit stand in the back and it was a pretty ruckus show and so me and joe and ian were standing in the back and next thing you know there's ian up on stage and ian's like at this point what 46 45 <laughs> who's that old guy on stage yeah like it was we're like what is ian doing is he actually in a stage dive like what the fuck and sure enough he dives out and no one caught him Everyone oh, just kind no. of would be hit his face first, his face planted on the floor, gashed like his eye, like right above his right eyebrow, just this gash. Like, I mean, you'd need stitches, like cut it open. And it was just bleeding everywhere. And he's in the bathroom. He's wadding up all this paper towel and holding on his head. He comes back. And we're like, dude, are you okay? He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, well, we can, we can go to the emergency room. He's like, no, why? It's like, because your head is bleeding out everywhere. You're pissing blood. But you know what? That's totally really bad crowd etiquette because if somebody jumps, you fucking catch them. If somebody falls, you pick them the fuck up. I think people are just like, what the fuck is this old guy doing? Because no one was stage diving. Yeah, but still, you it doesn't matter if no one's stage diving. You fucking, you, it's crowd etiquette. Like, what's going on? It was a very typical passive San Francisco crowd. Everyone just kind of standing there. You know, and it, it, I guess I, everyone's like, I'm not going to, I mean, personally, I probably wouldn't catch the guy either. <laughs> it's just like this fucking 45 oh my god he would just be me going come on everyone it's crowd etiquette we have to catch him trying to relive his youth anyway <laughs> um we ended up going to the bar afterwards and he still got the thing on blood coming out we're like dude you should go to a hospital he didn't go to a hospital because we thought he might have had a concussion he just went home and next day he shows up at work and he put like a bunch of like butterfly bandages on it uh-huh. Um, and just kind of holding it together, and his like his face is all bloody and swollen, like he like he had like a goose egg on his head, and he's got like his eye kind of underneath was like blackened, like he had a black eye, and so the CEO of our company walks by because I worked with Ian at the time, and he's like, "What happened to you?" And he was just like, first rule of Fight Club, you don't talk about Fight Club." Oh, fuck off, you! <laughs> no, no, oh, and the CEO just kind of looked at him, was like, "Uh, okay." <laughs> I'd be like, uh, this has become a HR issue now, and you need to go home. Yeah, I don't think he ever even got stitches for it. But anyway. What an idiot. Well, thank you, Wad. Um, I, 
I kind of like this new, a new segment here, parenting with the wad. Um, yeah, I really enjoy that. I think his girls are going to grow up to be badass anyways. Yeah, he would be, you can tell, like, I kind of feel bad. I kind of feel sorry already for the boyfriends of these girls. Can you imagine meeting that guy? <laughs> the wad. Oh, he's yeah. going to take them for drive-alongs where he makes them listen to Gigi Allen. And he's like, now tell me, what does that song mean to you? I would be I would be scared to death if I was like some high school kid taking his, his daughter out on a date. Anyway, people call Sycamore Hotline 323-522-4032. Uh, once again, big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. We do appreciate you keeping it sick and wrong every week. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today. Also, we do have a lot of sick and wrong merch. So if uh, you're looking for a t-shirt to wear for this Halloween season, just go to sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. I recommend the Stinkhorse shirt. In honor of JoJo. Uh, Sick Wrong Song of the Week. We were trying to look up uh, some, some SLC, some, uh, some bands. You know, there is a pretty cool scene there, I've heard. Yeah, I really like it. I've liked them for ages. They're a band called The Nods. Um, they were kind of like when Asian babes are around. It, the Nods were also like, what, like around. Not, I know The Nods do something, but it's probably like a totally different band nowadays. But they're cool. They're not so great. Yeah, I think like 2015, 2016. But there, there's a pretty uh, vibrant like punk metal scene there. Well, anyway, the band is, that there has to be. Yeah, I mean, think about it. The, I mean, growing uh-huh. up in like such a weird fundamentalist uh, Christian town, right? Um, it's got to be some backlash. So this band that I want to end the show with uh, is a band called Cult Leader. Um, <laughs> going to dedicate this one to Emmanuel David. Uh, the song's called "Share My Pain." Uh, the frontman of the band, Anthony Lucero, uh, grew up in Kearns, which is about a half an hour southwest of Salt Lake City. Um, but it, it's interesting because he was talking about, you know, growing up in Utah. And he's like, we had a, some crazy shit happen when we were kids, like drive-bys. It's like there's a lot of violence in the suburbs of Salt Lake City, which I'm kind of surprised about. He's like, he said, uh, you know, where I grew up, he's like, we had fights every day. And it's, it's all got that backdrop of just total Mormon domination over all the laws and culture. And so you push back. And that's what we did with hardcore. Nice. So I get it, it. It makes sense to me that, uh, um, that, that you would just respond and, you know, so severely. And so, yeah, you know, he said the whole scene um, was most, mostly frustrated white Christian kids. And, uh, you know, you just, and you just have such extreme hostility. And that's where you get, you know, this 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 hardcore. That's where it comes from. Anyway, we're gonna end the the show here with uh, "Share My Pain" by the man cult leader. People will be back next week with episode eight sixty three. Till then, take it sleazy.
only two options, kill or be killed. Hey, dickheads, why are you so fucking late for, man? The fuck? Uh, thanks, bye.